Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast, where we sit around this technological campfire and share stories of doing hard and fabulous things, shining a light on overcoming roadblocks for living our best lives on purpose. Today's guest, Kember Cross, is an adaptive athlete from Tacoma, Washington. She was born without fingers on her right hand, but Kimber did not let this slow her down. From the time she was young, her athletic spirit always found a way. Today, Kimber is an avid alpinist who climbs routes up the volcanoes of the Northwest, as well as peaks of the Cascades. And in the past three years, she's been focused on ice climbing using a custom prosthetic that Petzl worked with her to build, I believe. It's an ice tool that she's made for her hand. So stay tuned for her story of what it was like growing up without fingers on her right hand and how she's adapted and excelled and what she's learned from the journey. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. definition of adaptability is being able to adjust oneself readily to different conditions. Well, Kimber, I want to welcome you to the Love Your Story podcast so we can talk about your incredible ability to adapt. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Let's start with your story like we always do. Will you take us back to your childhood? What was it like growing up without fingers on your right hand? Like, when did you notice that your hand was different from, say, your parents? Yeah, well, I've asked my parents, you know, in the past, what was it like? And they're like, you know, you were a very, very independent child straight out of the womb. So kind of taking off and running. And they said to you, we would watch you try to pick up things open doors, pull at things. And they're like, you used your right hand uh, or, you know, your right, your stump um, as if there was nothing wrong. You didn't take notice to it. Just everything you did, you kept doing until you figured out a way to pick something up or to hold something. You know, I would maybe pick up a stuffed animal and I wouldn't be able to hold it with fingers, but I would hold it with the, the palm of my right hand against my chest. You know, I guess if you never have fingers that you just automatically, like from the beginning, you just figure out you work without them. Exactly. It's this unconscious modifying. And so my parents saw me do that continuously and they wanted to make sure that they didn't point it out too early or they didn't want to coddle me or are you sure you can do this? Can you, they just wanted to see me grow and adapt to my normal. Awesome. They sound like great parents. Are you right-handed or ambidextrous? That's a good question. I definitely think I'm left-handed. Obviously having all five fingers on the left hand, that's kind of my go-to. But growing up in sports, you know, uh, my dominant 
leg of kicking is my right leg. Mm. Um, when I was, you know, swinging the baseball bat for fast pitch, I can swing either way and it feels comfortable. So that's a good question. I don't, I don't fully know, but I absolutely lose my left, use my left hand for writing such as such as that. Well, and that's pretty cool. I, the, to be able to use and develop and go in both directions is kind of neat. Yeah, for sure. What was it like in elementary school and junior high? Did you find the kids to be accepting or was the difference alienating? I think I got really lucky. I never faced any verbal hurt from friends. And, you know, I had a personality that was very outgoing and as a young child, I the only memory I have is in a McDonald's playground. A kid saw it, looked at it, turned around and ran the other way. And I was like, that's weird. Why did he do that? And I still have that memory. Like, oh, I think he was scared of my hand. Mm-hmm. But the rest of my career, I was so heavily involved in sports. and And I think I just it was so normal for me at a young age and other kids just went with it, went with it. Yeah. It wasn't until junior high, high school, you know, you get that perception of, you know, Oh, I I like boys, boys are cute now. And do they like me? I definitely walked with a huge insecurity in that realm of, Oh my gosh, I'm not, you know, quote unquote, perfect. I don't have a quote unquote, normal body. So all of those insecurities you go through as a teenager were there, but a lot of it was really internalized and an internal pressure on myself. And um, thankfully, not outwardly expressed by those around me. You know, junior high is such a cruel, just a cruel place for most people. (laughs) Anyway, that when you come in with any kind of disability, it's you're almost like a, a target. Yeah, absolutely. So I just, I look at the community that I was involved in um, with the athletics and I really am thankful and just even, you know, proud of those friends that walked with me through that season of life. I'm like, that's not normal. You know, what, what we see in media, what we hear in stories is, you know, uh, just a lot of hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm thankful that I have friends that just cared and supported me. I love that. That makes me so happy. Good for you. Yay. There's good yeah. in the world. There is. <laughs> so how, how young were you when you started in sports? I remember starting baseball probably around first grade. I got really into basketball in junior high, and I actually spent nine years as a fast pitch pitcher and had a coach that would come up from Texas every other weekend for practice. So that was my first time actually having to modify a piece of equipment for a sport. So my my wrist is a, a little bit smaller, or I just don't have you know fingers to necessarily grip the inside of a mitt. And so there was extra padding, and there was um, a sewed strap that I can make that opening tighter on my wrist so it wouldn't fall off when I was performing movement during pitching but I was did you grip a bat 
you know, the way that it's shaped, I really use my, my wrist. If you kind of look at your wrist, you know, there's a, that little crease or kind of bump before your palm starts. Mm-hmm. That is really what I would use from a young age to hold on to a bat or pole. Mm. I, when I do pull-ups, you know, I had a few years ago at a gym, I had the record for uh, the most pull-ups consecutively, you know, 31 in a row for women. Seriously? And, Dang. Yeah. And, and it's just my, your wrist is very strong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the wrist is uh, what I would use to, to hold, to balance. Um, or if I was doing uh, bench press in the weight room, you know, kind of the upper portion of my hand, I have a little growth of my thumb and where my pinky would be. Um, but you know, I tell, since I'm a kindergarten teacher, I tell them, oh, doesn't it kind of look like the shape of, of a, a cat's face, you know, and, and so that area up above would hold a bar and I was able to do um, b- bench presses and whatnot. Wow. So I just learned, okay, how does this hand and the shape of it and the strength, where are the strengths, where are the weaknesses and how do I do what I want to do? So what was the hardest part of this? And it doesn't sound like any of it has been very hard for you, which of course is, I'm sure, not accurate at all, but it sounds yeah, like you I, just naturally adapted. Yeah. A lot of it was the mental. I mean, I grew up with this kind of mentality on the one hand of figure out a way and do it. And also this, I hate that I have one hand. It's, something I'm ashamed of. I'm embarrassed about. I have to hide it. People will stare. And so, you know, I walked around school hiding it behind a binder or in pockets, or I would go through a store, go outside on a walk. And I don't have any memory of junior high, high school, my early twenties going into college where I could freely walk down the sidewalk with both my hands at my side. So that's where the challenge lied for me for, you know, over two decades is wanting to just have no one know, which is almost an oxymoron because everyone knew because I was on the varsity sports that, you know, it's just this internalized self-hatred, honestly. Um, And it took a long time to work through that and break through that and be open about my hand. You know, I think some of, well, probably all of the biggest battles that we all fight in, you know, in a lot of different arenas, but I think they're always mental. Yeah. What do you feel have been the greatest blessings that you've gained from the experience then? Is it the adaptive living or insight, empathy? personal sense of self. (laughs) Right, right. I think it has come in waves. You know, at the beginning, it's like that self-acceptance. I really went from self-hatred to self-acceptance. Like, you know, this is how it is. It's not going to grow back. I can't pray a miracle. I just have to accept myself. This is how I am. And through being a kindergarten teacher, through climbing and having other people who who either have limb differences see me and go, whoa, that provokes me. Or uh, other people, you know, that have all their fingers say like, oh my goodness, like 
the fact that you can do that just um, opens my eyes to what's possible. I started realizing there's there's purpose to this that could potentially support other people in their journey or in their understanding if they're not born with a limb difference. And so self-acceptance turned into purpose. Mm, I like that. And I don't think I brought up before that you're a kindergarten teacher, but this really does give you a select opportunity to impact understanding and empathy in these young souls because they can see their cool teacher that works just fine without fingers. And, you know, I'm sure, what kind of insights have you seen that that these little guys gain from having you as a teacher? Yeah, that is probably one of the most meaningful things to me as a kindergarten teacher and why I love kindergarten. It's their first experience in a school setting, really. And some of them, it's their first time going from only around their family to now around peers, to now around new adults that they haven't grown up with. And so their experience, their perception of the world immediately starts in my classroom. And of course, the first day you get the array of reactions. There's curiosity and there's fear and there's quick acceptance or, or, you know, standoffish personalities. And I get to embrace all of those. And, you know, it's of course built up a thick skin and, and I am an adult and I am, I know if a five-year-old can express themselves outwardly without a filter. And right. Do they say funny things to you? All the time. Like, did a bus run over your hand? Or, <laughs> you know, they just have all these ideas and, and I just find a humor in it more than anything. But really, you know, those who were scared on the first day really end up being the ones that are just so loving and they want to hold my hand or uh, they just want to know about it. We do kind of that elephant in the room, this little science lesson on, you know, how our bodies form and grow in uh, the womb and the movement I can do, what I can do. They find it amazing that I can tie my shoe, that I can jump rope, that the big thing to them is you can drive. And I think about three, four years ago, it really came full circle because, you know, these kids, are some of them are seeing a limb difference for the very first time and having all those reactions. And I usually will get new students halfway through the year, you know, with families moving and a new student comes in and we're about to start a math lesson. And of course they're all like, tell him, tell him, uh, you know, they, they want the kid to know our teacher has one hand and she's so cool. And I'm doing the little science lesson. Oh, you know, it looks like a little kitty face and I can move my hand. It feels like a hand. And suddenly he pops his hand up in the air and it turns out he was born without the full length of one of his pointer fingers just to see all the other kids look at him and go, Whoa, so cool. You're just like our teacher. And that instant acceptance because they had gotten through all their their, you know, their fears or their misunderstandings with me. And then they had the background knowledge for the scheme of, oh, a limb difference is normal. They treated this kid so normal and accepted him holding his hand, not fearful, not like, oh, that's weird. And that to me was like, oh my goodness, purpose. That is so lovely. Yes. 
Yeah. And for that child too, because who knows what his little heart was thinking and worried about going in with to school with something like that and not knowing what other kids would say. And then to have it go down like that, that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Because it isn't, you know, a guaranteed great experience for people with limb differences or any, you know, special needs um, or difference. It, it really is different in each case. And so for him to have his, you know, first moments in my classroom, um, be something that is positive, you know, and mm-hmm. he graduated fifth grade last year and just watching him every year become this confident, happy, joyful kid that wasn't held back, but, you know, by perceptions of others, like it just, it gives me purpose too. It's so much more than teaching. It's really, you know, humaning and life skills, um, relating to the heart, you know, acceptance and empathy and love and respect. I love that. Climbing, did you start climbing before you became a kindergarten teacher or have you been a teacher and then started climbing? How does the climbing work in here? Yeah, so I, this is my 12th year as a kindergarten teacher. Uh, I just got my national board. So I'm a national board certified teacher and love that. Uh, When I was 30, um, I'm 30, almost 35 now. When I was just turning 30, I decided, you know, I want to climb Mount Rainier that sounds fun. I like backpacking, but climbing just sounds like a fun thing to do. I'm a, you know, a single woman. I don't have kids. Let's throw myself into that. And, you know, fast forward about you know five years later, it's just become my passion and you could say hobby, but just the way that I choose to adventure and explore and it's so fun how the last couple of years, you know, pulling that part of me into my classroom, you know, with my prosthetic now with ice climbing, it's so cool how they, the world meld to where it's not only showing my students, hey, I can do anything with, you know, what I have, like no limits on your goals and your dreams and your creativity, but also, you know, they're like, whoa, my this female teacher, this like, you know, one, one student that my first year climbing, when I first climbed Rainier, they were like, girls don't climb mountains. (laughs) Uh, And I was like, oh, oh, precious boy. Uh, And I got to show him a picture. I'm like, hey, look, that is me. That's your teacher. And his first response was, you're a girl? <laughs> um, five-year-olds. Uh, Poor little buddy. Wonder where he's been raised. Yes, yes, I am. Uh, so it's just so fun to just break that norm and watch this expanding world of representation. You know, filter into this next generation that walks in my classroom every day. But uh, you're yeah. teaching them all kinds of things. You know, kindergarten. It's all about learning how to human. Um, <laughs> So are you backpacking or sport climbing or trad climbing? Yeah. So I joined the Mountaineers basic Alpine course, and then I went through their intermediate Alpine course and graduated that. So um, I, you know, climb the volcanoes, glacier, uh, rock, trad climbing is what I really love doing. And then ice climbing. That's kind of my main focus the past couple of years. So you just got into it because you thought that looks cool. I think I'll do that. Yeah, 
you know, I, I want to see what's at the top of Mount Rainier. Why not? And it just kind of steamrolled into, oh, well, I'll, I'll do it all now. So. so do you have a mentor? How did you end up getting the prosthetic made? Tell us about that. Yeah. So when you're in the intermediate course, you know, it's all about leading on rock, leading on glacier, and then also ice climbing. And in Washington, you know, we don't have a lot of waterfall ice. We have high alpine routes you know, that have mixed ice and snow. So I knew like waterfall ice, ice climbing, it just looks beautiful and fun and dangerous. And I want to participate. And then coming to that realization of, oh no, (laughs) you absolutely definitely have to hold two tools, two ice tools. And I had already for glacier travel, you know, you have an ice ax and I had already built a modified kind of strap that goes on the top. So when I'm traversing and switching hands, you know, I put my mitt through the strap, tighten it down and I have full control over it. Should I need to self arrest? But with ice climbing, it was a whole different thing. Like what can hold my body weight on vertical ice? And I kind of put out the feelers, you know, in the mountaineers that, you know, they do have mentorship And I had amazing support of people going, you know, I'm sure there's a way. I am sure there's a way. You have met every challenge, you know, belaying, rappelling, climbing, placing pro, like using your ice axe. You have met every challenge with a modification that is safe and successful. You'll find a way. And one of my mentors, you know, Scott Sichel, he, you know, the Ranger Army veteran, um, just uh, a leader in the Mountaineers organization really saw me on day one and was like, hey, listen, you're capable and there's going to be no excuse. Like you are fully accepted, uh, which was huge for me because. Yeah, that's nice to hear right out of the gate, huh? Right out of the gate to be like, hey, you are different in this sense, but it does not mean you are not a safe climber and your partners will not trust you. And just that gave me full confidence of, go, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Like you care about being delayed safely. You care about your partner repelling safely. Like I want to, you know, commit to those things. He had shown me a picture of this blurry picture of a person with a prosthetic ice tool. And it was you know, maybe 10 years ago. And, and he was like, I think you can do it. This, this is an athlete um, that's on the North Face team now. And it ended up being um, Maureen Beck. She's a North Face athlete. She was also born with a limb difference. She's an incredible sport climber, rock climber, and was climbing ice back in the day with a prosthetic. So it was kind of my first blueprint to go, oh my goodness, it's been done. And she and I connected and we've climbed together. And, you know, it's just amazing to have a friend, but also a mentor and also someone you look up to in the sports that you're entering going like, I'm not alone. Absolutely. Did she, did she have the prosthetic already designed or did you have to come up with the design? Uh, She, what she had, because her arm um, comes up a lot higher than mine. So she Mm -hmm. had something completely different. She doesn't use it now, um, but it, it was just, all I needed was this blurry picture of a prosthetic ice tool to go. It's possible. And through a series of connections, I got connected with a prosthetic doctor in Washington that had his own practice. And uh, he was like, hey, I hear you need a prosthetic. And 
I don't know what ice climbing is, but I want to offer my services. And we met, I pulled up a YouTube video of this is what ice climbing is. And he was like, that's incredible. And it looks very dangerous. So let's build something that you will be safe on. And just like that, just having a connection, having a doctor be like, I'm going to stand in the gap for you. I'm going to help create this dream, this idea you have. I think it's possible. I'm never... Yeah. Do you feel like just one door after another opened for you? It sounds like as you retell your stories, and I don't know if it's just this great innate ability that you have to not focus on the difficult, but it just sounds like one door after another opens the support of a mentor, the support of a teacher, the support of a doctor, the, you know, finding someone else that had already kind of started on the down that prosthetic road. It just sounds like, wow, doors fly open for you. I am so humbled and grateful. I feel blessed. I feel privileged. I feel favored just every step of the way. You know, there's self-determination and there's, you know, believing even when it's hard and knowing like this is going to be a process, but I am so grateful for a community. And it has just pointed to how deeply we all need a community to to meet our goals, to walk through our battles, internal, you know, or, or physical, if you will. And so, yeah, I'm really grateful for all the doors that have opened and it, it has been the kindness um, and the faith of, uh, of a community that surrounded me throughout the years and the seasons of my life, for sure. I love the idea of just the realization of it takes a community because then not only are you open to that help and inside of others, but you're also there to give it for the people around you. I think that's a lovely way to live. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it's fulfilling. Um, mm. I, you know, now looking back, I see the way that how I live, how I'm open. I don't hide my hand anymore um, on social media with, you know, Instagram stories or sharing pictures or, you know, my, um, the Mountaineers has a magazine that comes out seasonally. And, uh, two issues ago, I was on the cover with my prosthetic and it's like, well, I'm not hiding anymore. I have nothing to hide. And the fact that it influences others in such a positive way, giving them hope. I've gotten messages from mothers saying, I know you don't know who I am, but like, here's a picture of my child. And, you know, it's children in, in cribs with like, with limb differences mm-hmm. missing hands, or you know their child had a stroke and lost the function of their hand for a while and and they're like you give me hope because you know my child can do things that look outstanding in their future nothing can hold them back just because you haven't let anything hold you back or people who have had accidents or needed amputations you know have watched my climbing film that came out earlier this year and I, I get messages where, Hey, I've been really depressed because I thought I lost something that would just alter me forever. But to watch you go through, um, you know, your journey of that can't will did, you know, I can't ice climb. No, I will ice climb. Yes, I did ice climb. They're like that, that changes my perspective entirely. And so I feel like, wow, it's, it's full circle when we own our story, when we walk in our story, the ripple effect into other people's lives and other generations, like that's the purpose. That's the point. 
Yes. And you know what? Not to overstate the point of this podcast, but it's called Love Your Story for that very reason. When you can do the work you need to do to accept and love your story, you really step into your power and what you came to do. Absolutely. And stepping into that, my only regret is I waited till I was 30 to do it, you know, and the years of of hiding myself, I really when I talk to people now, when I talk to young kids now that have limb differences or, or just are young and impressionable saying like, it is so important that you walk in your true self because we all have a difference to make with loving ourselves. It changes other people. Okay, so just for the fun of it, I want you to explain to the audience what it's like to ice climb because mm-hmm. I'm an ice climber too and it's really one of the most dangerous sports possible. It just is. And the ice changes by the hour according to the danger. So with rock climbing, there's a rating system and you know it's a 10A, B, C, and that stays consistent in, you know, for generally. But with ice, that rating can change by the hour depending on how much, how warm it is, or you know, if the waterfall breaks you, if if a big chunk of ice comes off. And my years on the ice, I actually was married to a man once, so one of my husbands who was soloing a 300 foot, he was on, let's see, he was on the fifth. And I think he, (laughs) this is not something that I (laughs) support, but he was on the fifth pitch. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) The fifth pitch when the the ice came out from under him and, and he fell probably 300 feet, had to be helicoptered out. And, you know, he broke um, femurs and lots of good things. But again, he lived, he lived through that. It, It was a long time laying on the couch healing, but it really is, even for people who are very skilled, he used to teach, well, actually he still does special forces in rock climbing and ice climbing. And um, so even with the skills that he had, you know, he made some choices, took a few too many risks, but you, you can die at that sport, but, but back to the feeling of it, the, the ice underneath the ax and, you know, getting your cramp on to stick right in the sound of it, the, the water, the ice as it melts underneath, or if you're climbing a waterfall and the water beneath the ice, I mean, it's just one of those really incredible spaces. So tell us what it feels like. Yeah, it is surreal. And I think, you know, out of all the, you know, alpine sports, I latched onto ice climbing because wow, I could do it and use all my limbs and that risk of, you know, there's, there's sharp objects attached to me. And, you know, the number one rule in ice climbing is don't fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's no falling. And my goal with the prosthetic, I didn't just want to top rope or have my partners have to set up a top rope and, you know, that's legit. And it is, you know, still dangerous when you're on top rope climbing, but I wanted to be able to lead. I wanted to be on the sharp end. And I knew that, you know, that's going to take some practice and some focus and just the feeling of, you know, making those smart moves, but also mitigating that fear, assessing the ice. It's, it's kind of your mind, become so focused 
on this one activity and yet so enthralled with the beauty of a frozen flow when you first walk up to it. And um, I just have been uh, grateful to be able to climb in Utah and Montana, Colorado, you know, just some beautiful ice flows. Have you been on Bridal Veil Falls? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. something else, isn't it? It is. It is something else. And this last, the last two ice seasons, I've gone to Highlight Canyon mm. times. And just, I, I love, love, love just pushing myself, practicing, you know, getting the laps in, warming up on top rope to where like, I, I can see myself progressing in this sport in confidence and in skill, not trying to rush it and go, I want to climb water ice four, water ice five, lead it. Like know that this is a commitment and this is a commitment in practicing and getting repetitions in because I want to be safe and I want to have fun. And it's just so much fun. And have you ever had a fall? I thankfully have not had a fall on lead falls that I've had have only been in dry tooling, which um, dry tooling is you're kind of at a crag and it's rocks and you have a special pick on your tool. And so it's just getting you to practice for mixed climbing when you're climbing an ice route and there's some ice, but then there's also some rock. And so learning that technique Um, and funny enough, you know, usually, you know, you, a tool's in the ice, you can remove your hand from it. Well, with my prosthetic, once that tool's in, my arm is attached to it. And so the silver lining is I can place a screw and kind of just hang on (laughs) my joint all day. I don't pump out on my right arm. And so a lot of my partners are like, oh man, that's not fair. Like you can just hang there forever. And I was like, but don't forget the fact that I have to use a prosthetic. You have two hands, my friend. Yeah. So it's, it's just, I just, I just love the challenge that it brings. And thankfully I haven't had any falls and, you know, risk, there's inherent risk in Mm -hmm. ice climbing as in, you know, everything we do daily. And so it's just making really you know, smart assessments and uh, having partners that I trust. Mm, That's a big deal. What's your favorite climb you've done? My favorite climb. And that can include, doesn't have to be ice. It can include one of your mountaineering endeavors. Yeah. You know, this past July, I was able to do a climb with some friends of mine in the mountaineers and other, they're amazing skilled friends that, you know, I trust on, on difficult routes. We climbed the Couts route up Rainier and my whole goal in having my prosthetic, not only to climb waterfall ice and, uh, but it was to climb a technical route on Rainier and to be able to, you know, be a person with a limb difference, you know, or a disability uh, and have that prosthetic and successfully climb it, get through those couple pitches of ice. And I just remember being there and I turned around, you know, as my tools are, are in the ice and I just see that sunrise and the triangle shadow that the volcanoes make uh, was right behind us, just stunning. And that 
memory will always be seared into my mind. Like, oh my goodness, I've, I reached like three, four years ago. This was a dream, just a dream. Like, I don't know if that would ever happen, if I could ever, you know, be able to do something like that with, you know, how much I would need to be able to climb ice or, a, you know, a steep ice route on Rainier. So I think that has been the most meaningful um, full circle kind of experience with this whole prosthetic and, you know, alpinism. Love that. Oh, and it sounds beautiful. What oh. I, you know, there are moments when I'm out in nature and it's just fantastic. And I'm like, stop emblazon this on my mind so that when I'm in a space, when I need one of those really beautiful places, I can come back here. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So we are at the end of the interview now. Do you have any final thoughts, insights um, that you want to share with people about persevering, about ice climbing, anything you want to share? You know, my heart in the last couple of years has really focused on access and representation. And if my story can provoke others to believe that they have a place in the outdoors, um, that you know, no matter what their identity is or what their adaptive need is, I think representation is so important. I didn't have anyone growing up that my parents could point to and say, look, we did it. You know, there's, I think Jim Abbott, the California Angels pitcher, he had one hand in, you know, it was early 90s. And my parents are like, here, here's some books on this athlete that you know, has one hand. And, and I look now and there's so many professional athletes uh, with limb differences. And if, if we can create an environment in the outdoors, uh, in any sphere of life that is loving, that is inclusive, diverse, and really represents humanity in all our uniqueness, I think that will have such a positive effect on the generation coming up. I want kids looking at a picture of me or someone else, you know, with my prosthetic tool or just how I live life with one hand and see it as normal and see it as beautiful. Um, And I think we're moving in that direction. And so if my little story can be a part of those ripple effects for a better society, I'm all for it. Thank you for all that you're doing. On the show notes for this on the website, loveyourstorypodcast.com, There will be, um, she has four or five media pieces on her website that go into more detail about the things that she's done and is doing and go into more of her biography. So there will be a link to her website there in those show notes and you can find more information about her. Thank you for being here, Kimber. Thank you so much for having me. We all have obstacles in our individual lives, but we also have community to help us overcome these. Now, these obstacles are as individual to each of us as our lives are, but I love what Kimber said about walking in your true self, and I also thought it was really interesting how she wished that she'd done it earlier. Now, I see, I totally understand what she's saying because once you settle into your true self and you accept that story, you love that story, you love who you are without exception, and you feel the power that comes from that, then that space of lost time of wishing you'd done it earlier, of wishing that you could have had, you know, started having that greatest effect in the world earlier 
is definitely something to consider as you're considering your own story. Now, some of the obstacles in our lives are going to be more obvious to others, like not having a hand, while other obstacles may be something else, deep grief, loss, hidden abuse, depression, anxiety, any of the other things that we deal with. These challenges make us stronger as we face them. Could Kimber have played small and afraid, not risking, feeling handicapped, trying to stay hidden? She could have. And so can we as we face our obstacles. But we also have that much better choice to square our shoulders, to look to our community and to opportunities to step up and to step out, to look straight at the challenge. And one day at a time, one choice at a time, to keep moving toward that self-acceptance, that self-love, the doing what we want to do, that creating the life we want on purpose. It's always about choice, attitude, focus. Your challenge for this week is to consider something in your life that you maybe need to gain a little bit of strength around. That thing that you know gives you lots of growth opportunities and just take one strengthening step toward it and away from a story that limits you. Onward and upward, people. Thank you for being here with us today. I will see you in two weeks for the next fabulous episode. So live big. And if you will hop on Apple Podcasts and leave us or wherever, wherever you're listening, whatever your platform is, leave us a review. I have new podcast, um, Love Your Story podcast stickers that are really cool. And we'll send them out. Send me a copy of your, your review. Um, just cut and paste it and then send me your address and I'll send you Love Your Story podcast sticker. Thank you. Have a great week.